Hello everyone and welcome to part three and the final episode in my three-part episode series on the science of habit. This is episode number 88, the only way to change bad habits. So in today's episode, we'll discuss why you can never truly get rid of a bad habit, but how you can overwrite and change them. Don't worry, there is a way. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Self-Made Mastery Podcast, your ultimate guide to total transformation. I'm your host, Adrian Finch, and I believe wholeheartedly that anyone from any background can create and live their dream life. And the best part is, you only need one thing to start, your mind. So join me here every Wednesday on this transformative journey to master your mindset and unlock your greatest potential. Let's go. Hello, everyone, and welcome back. Welcome back to the Self-Made Mastery Podcast. I am your host, Adrian Finch, and I'm so excited to be here today. You probably noticed there wasn't an episode last week. I'm so sorry about that. I was actually at home in Seattle for the week and under the weather. My voice is still a little bit scratchy. And since I just relaunched this podcast, I'm not quite yet ahead with episodes, so I apologize for the delay with this one going live as well. I'm working to get lots of episodes in the bank so that this doesn't happen in the future, but I appreciate your patience. I hope you've been well. If you've been listening since we relaunched, shoot me a message on Instagram if you don't mind. I just want to know who's out there, who's listening. I feel like There's been a little bit of silence, a little bit of radio silence since it came back, and I just want to make sure you're still there. And I just want to talk to you guys, let's be honest, I miss you. But I appreciate your patience, and I hope you've been well. Hope you've been having a good, good summer. So like I mentioned, this is the final installment in my three-part episode series on the science of habit though I'm not finished with the book yet, so I can't guarantee there won't be another habit-related episode or two. I mean, actually, there will be plenty of those in the future because you know me, I love habit building, habit forming, all of that stuff. Um, But as a quick refresher and a reminder kind of as to what we've been talking about the past two episodes, in part one, we learned how habits actually work. We learned about the habit loop, which explains how habits work and what is actually happening in your brain when we engage in an automatic behavior. And then in part two, we used real life examples to illustrate how anyone can use the habit loop in order to create new habits. So we talked about two key components that ensure your new behaviors will turn into an automatic and permanent change. Number one being craving. So you have to actually cultivate a craving for the reward on top of the reward just being there. And, you know, the craving has to be so strong that your brain starts to actually anticipate the reward just by seeing the cue. That's how that craving works. And then number two being believability. You have to truly believe that change is possible and then it will be. And then today, you guys, in part three, we're discussing bad habits. (laughs) So we've talked about how habits work and how to start new habits. Today, we're talking about bad habits and the idea that bad habits can actually never truly be extinguished. Wait, what? I know that sounds like very scary. It was scary when I first read that. 
But don't worry, we may not be able to extinguish bad habits, but we can overwrite them and we can change them and we can transform them into not so bad habits, which is exactly how the greatest transformation will occur within you. I can guarantee that, okay? So once again, these all are coming from the book that I'm currently reading called The Power of Habit, Why We Do What We Do in Life and Business which I'll link in the show notes if you're interested. I highly recommend. I'm also kind of giving you the cliff notes, so I don't know, your decision. (laughs) So first we're going to talk about how to change a bad habit. We're going to break it down with some examples later on, but first we're just going to talk about how to actually change a bad habit. We've all had bad habits, and I'm sure we've all attempted to change them before. Maybe you still have some bad habits. I know that I do. I definitely need to change some of them. Um, And maybe your attempts to changing them have worked, maybe they haven't, but today I'm giving you the foolproof formula, so actually the only way that you truly can create that change, that you actually can change those bad habits, and it all comes down to, you guessed it, the habit loop. So step one to changing a bad habit is identifying the habit loop. So remember, in order to break down a habit, we have to identify first the cue that prompts the behavior. So what's the first thing you see or do that triggers that automatic behavior? Try to identify that. So seeing a box of donuts might be the cue that begins the craving for a sugary treat, right? You know what's in that box, (laughs) you see the box, you all of a sudden start craving the reward that it gives you and you engage in the routine of eating the donut. It's kind of funny to talk about eating donuts in such a scientific way, but it's real. Um, you know, or in that other example we used last episode, seeing your workout clothes set out by the door when you first get home from work is the cue that it's time to go for a jog around your neighborhood, right? Or a smoker feeling a desire for stimulation could potentially be the cue that launches them into the routine of grabbing a cigarette and heading outside, right? They want some stimulation, they're bored, whatever it is, they grab the cigarette and go outside. So we need to identify the cue that prompts the behavior. We then need to identify the routine or behavior that actually happens. So this is the easy part. It's the action you actually are doing, the thing that you want to learn or the thing that you wish you didn't do, (laughs) the good habit, the bad habit. It's the thing that will become automatic, an automatic behavior. It's truly the meat of the habit. And then lastly, we need to identify the reward. So what is the feeling you get after completing the behavior? So when we're thinking about this habit loop in terms of bad habits, right? What what feeling are you getting from doing the thing? Is it satisfaction? Is it endorphins, happiness? Is it a good physical feeling? It's not always easy to break down the habit into cue, routine, and reward. It's kind of difficult, honestly, which is why we aren't super good at changing habits um, and why it doesn't come so easily to a lot of us because we can't really, you know, easily identify those sometimes. And that's where a lot of the work and practice has to come in. Um, But once you do, once you really can identify those things, You have the absolute power to reprogram your brain and transform your habits. That is the magical part. Okay, so I mentioned earlier that you can't actually eradicate a bad habit. You can't get rid of it completely, right? And that might sound funny, but it's true. And that's because it's ingrained in you, 
right? You've created such a powerful automation that being exposed to the queue will always, 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 always cultivate a craving for the reward that you once got from participating in the habit, right? So no matter what, if you're exposed to the queue, you'll crave the reward that you get. So if we're talking about bad habits, participating in that bad habit still was giving you a reward. And whenever you see the cue, it's still going to crave that reward and it'll make it very, very, very tempting to engage in the behavior. In fact, not just tempting, but automatic, right? That's the tricky part. It's actually automatic. You might sometimes sit there and be like, I'm so confused. I really want to wake up early. I truly want it so, so, so bad. And then every morning I just end up snoozing my alarm. I'm confused. I don't, I don't get it. It's like I'm two different people. I really want to wake up, but then I choose to snooze my alarm. It feels like a robot has taken control of your body, and I get it. It's because it basically has. You've actually created this insanely powerful automation, and it's really, 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 really hard, actually impossible pretty much, to like unlearn that. It's very, very hard to undo the habit that you've already built. And along with that, because you've created such a powerful automation, being exposed to the cue will always, always cultivate a craving for the reward, right? We already said that. So as much as I wish this were not true, you can't control the cues. So let's say, you know, you're an alcoholic who has gotten into the bad habit of using alcohol to cope with stress. It's safe to say you you can't simply get rid of your stress, right? If your stress is the cue and, you know, drinking alcohol is the routine, you can't just get rid of stress. Guaranteed there will come a time in life when you feel stressed about something. In fact, it happens every week to most of us, sometimes every day, right? Or if you get tempted to text an ex whenever your song comes on or something, right? Like, sure, you can decide you're never going to play that song, but you can't control if it comes on the radio or plays at the mall. So you can't control the cues. The cues are going to be there. They're just going to be there. And you can't rely on the cue not being there as the only way to not engage in the habit because chances are you're just going to run into it. And then you certainly can't change the reward you feel afterwards, right? Chances are that buzzed feeling that alcohol provides will continue to help you feel less stressed. Or eating a sugary donut will still feel so satisfying and be delicious. I can attest to this, right? It's not like you're just going to wake up one day and decide that you don't like donuts or decide that like, you know, you, you actually don't like the feeling like, no, it's, it's not going to work that way. The reward will still always be there. So if you can't control the cues and you can't change the reward, you can't truly eradicate bad habits, right? Cause they're going to be there. The cue is going to be there. The reward is going to be there, but here's where the hack finally comes in. You can overwrite it you can change it you can change the habit can't get rid of it but you can change it and how do you do that by keeping the same cue and delivering the same reward but inserting a new routine so that's the rule okay if you use the same cue and you provide the same reward, you can shift the routine and ultimately change the habit. So of course, the key here being that the routine that you choose to shift it to must actually provide the reward that you wanted. And how do you figure out exactly what the reward you wanted was? Well, 
you have to figure out what you're actually craving. Like what is truly the reason why you've created this habit? And we'll talk about that later with a few examples that'll really help illustrate like why it's actually so hard, you know, why we haven't identified in the past, like what actually we're craving. And that's why a lot of times we fail at changing habits because we don't actually know why we're doing them. And then we attack the wrong thing. Makes sense? So yes, that is the rule. You use the same cue, provide the same reward. You can shift the routine, which ultimately changes the habit. So we can't eradicate them altogether, but we can change them, which is just as good, you guys, I promise. It seems ridiculously simple, okay? I know, I get that. And it's kind of because it is. Once you're aware of how habits work and you can recognize the cues and the rewards, you're literally halfway to changing it, right? But of course, I want to mention that changing the routine takes work, actual work, right? It's easy to describe how to do this, but that doesn't mean it doesn't take real work. It takes time and determination to create genuine change. Whether we're talking about giving up smoking or, you know, something like no longer biting your nails, big or small, change is possible for anyone at any point in their lives, but it does take work. It takes work, but you can do it. You can make transformations beyond your wildest dreams and it all starts here with an understanding of how habits work so now i want to give you guys a couple of examples of some commonly known bad habits and just sort of demonstrate how the routines can be changed and have been changed in order to change the habit i just want to paint a very very clear picture for you so that you can go on in your merry lives, identify some of those bad habits, and really work to figure out what it is that you're craving, why you're actually engaging in it, and then replacing that habit with something else, right? So the first example that I want to talk about that was in the book, I thought it was really powerful just because it's obviously a very powerful addiction and, you know, habit, which is alcoholism. So The first example has to do with that, but more so the success of the program Alcoholics Anonymous, which is a treatment program, if you guys have ever heard of it. And apparently as many as 10 million people have achieved sobriety through the group. So that's awesome. And of course, you know, it doesn't work for everyone. Nothing really will work for every single person, but millions of people have really literally credited AA with saving their lives, which is super sweet. It means something in there is totally working. And it's really interesting, you'll come to find out, because it's really not rooted in any science or like accepted therapeutic methods. It's totally not what you would expect. And yet here are millions of people saying that it saved their lives. Now, of course, I want to say alcoholism is more than just a habit. Of course, it's a physical addiction. It has psychological and even genetic roots so it can be a lot more complicated than that um you know disclaimer obviously but that being said you know what's so fascinating about the success of this program in my opinion is that the program doesn't remotely even attack those roots like the the psychiatric or the you know biomedical like it doesn't attack the genetics or any of those roots that researchers often say is at the core of why alcoholics drink. So, you know, the the main reasons why researchers think they drink, Alcoholics Anonymous is not even targeting that. (laughs) So, of course, why this is relevant here is what AA actually provides instead is a method for attacking the habits that surround alcohol use. So the habits. 
So AA, in essence, is a giant machine for changing habit loops. So what we just said, changing the routine. And it succeeds because it helps alcoholics actually use the same cues, so being stressed or needing an escape or you know whatever it is, and get the same reward, meaning they feel good, they feel less stressed, they are relaxed or whatever that reward is, but it shifts the routine. It shifts what actually leads you there. So for this example's sake, let's say the cue is feeling stressed, like I mentioned before. And having a drink or multiple drinks is the routine that you're used to doing. You feel stressed, you have a drink. And then feeling an escape or less stressed is the reward. So what AA has done is built a system of meetings and companionship that basically strives to offer that exact same reward. They want you to feel that same sense of escape and distraction and, you know, de-stressing the same way that a big night of drinking or even, you know, a few drinks would make you feel. So when people feel stressed, they can now, instead of reaching for a drink, they can grab the phone and call their sponsor or go to a meeting And the hope is that they'll actually get that same feeling of relief that they would if they had a drink. They'll actually feel that. And so they don't need the drink. They just need that sense of, you know, escape or whatever it is. Hey guys, it's Cheyenne Davis. You may know me from MTV's Teen Mom OG or Think Loud Crew podcast. I'm here with my dad, Papa Floyd, to tell you about our new podcast, Unfiltered Kitchen. The kitchen is the hub of the household for many of us. The one-stop shop for conversations both big and small. Cheyenne and I have been having open conversations about all aspects of life in our kitchen since well before she was able to see over the counter. And now we're inviting you into our own kitchen as a part of the family. Unfiltered Kitchen is a two-way street. I share my advice on cocktails, cooking, parenting, and the lessons I've learned. And I inform my dad what it's like to raise kids today, how generational barriers affect us, and the joys of being a daughter. Well, your daughter. Get ready for a whole lot of unfiltered advice. You can take it or leave it, but you're never going to leave this table feeling hungry for more. Listen to Unfiltered Kitchen wherever you get your podcasts. So I think that's so interesting and so powerful that really, it, it sounds right, really simple, right? Like, Just find another thing that gives you that same, you know, thing you're craving, the same reward and replace it. And the next example is one that I used to experience personally. And honestly, I probably still do, which is like, you know, I was sitting there trying to think like, okay, what bad habits do I have? Or like, and I mean, I have many picking my split ends is one of them. And let me tell you, I keep thinking of that example when I read this book and I just don't know how I'm going to attack it because I don't actually know what reward I'm getting from doing it. It's like some sort of satisfaction, but I don't really like know what kind, but that's what I'm going to work on. It'll be interesting. But anyway, the other habit that I want to talk about, which, um, you know, I do still experience, but maybe not as much as I used to, which is eating or snacking, like even when I'm not hungry. So literally like the amount of times in a day that I'll just get up, walk to the fridge, open the fridge, stare blankly into the fridge, and then close it is actually dumb so many times. And usually I don't even get anything, mostly because there's nothing good in my fridge, but if there was, I'd be reaching for something literally every single time and I'm not even hungry. And 
sometimes so <laughs> sometimes I do you know depending um but literally no part of me needs food in that moment I just crave it for some reason and so I tried to really una- like analyze this and figure out like what am I actually craving because clearly I'm not hungry I'm not you know like I think I'm craving the food but I don't even think I'm craving the food because sometimes there's not even good food in my house and so I tried to think more and I really think what it is is I'm just craving stimulation like a break a break from work or whatever it is like I need like a little moment of distraction and stimulation so I get up and I walk to the kitchen when I'm bored or I want a break from work I'm not actually hungry and I don't need food I just need a distraction but obviously it's not a very fun distraction if you know it also can just add pounds to your waistline like that's not fun it's super unnecessary um but yes it took me a while to realize like why I was snacking so much right I didn't really understand it I was like I'm not hungry like what am I truly getting at here but finally I realized it was simply out of boredom like literally I'm bored I needed a break I craved some stimulation I'm bored so now I recognize that and I'm because I recognize that I'm gonna actually do this experiment and try replacing the snacking with like going on YouTube for a few minutes or taking a walk around my apartment something that gives me a little break and hopefully I'll get the same reward that snacking was giving me right and when you kind of put it like that though it just makes a lot of sense when you sort of realize like why you actually are engaging in certain bad habits all of a sudden a light bulb just kind of goes off and you're like, oh my God, that makes so much sense. Like that is what I'm craving. It's not about the food. It's not about the actual thing that I'm doing. It's about like, what am I actually trying to get out of it, right? It's kind of like when we manifest, actually this is sort of unrelated, but it just reminded me of this. When we manifest, like what we want to focus on more than anything is the actual outcome. What you want to feel or or who you want to be, not the actual thing itself. Like you don't always want to focus on the money, for example, manifesting money, money, money. You want to focus on what the value is that you're actually going to get out of having that money. So your vacation that you're going to go on or the new apartment that you're going to have, right? Like not the actual currency not the actual transaction and in a weird way manifesting is kind of similar to the habit loop because you can think of the reward as the outcome or the thing that you're actually getting and the routine is just the currency right the routine is just the money the reward is actually what you're getting so for me the food was not the thing that I needed to be focused on I didn't need to figure out like why is it food why do I want food I just had to focus on what is this craving that I'm having like what reward am I looking for and once I could identify that I could just change the currency I could just change it from food to something else that's a healthier habit right a healthier thing that provides the same distraction so kind of unrelated but sort of similar um that was really interesting so that really is all that you have to do in order to change a habit is ask yourself why you're really doing it what is it that you are craving right if you want to stop smoking you got to ask yourself do you do it because you love cigarettes you love nicotine it tastes good like or do you do it because it provides a burst of stimulation or you do it because it is a way to socialize If you smoke because you need stimulation, for example, studies show that some caffeine in the afternoon can actually increase your odds of quitting because it's kind of providing that same sense of stimulation, but in a different way. 
So you just have to be aware of what it is that you're actually craving and then switch out the routine to something better for you that provides the same reward, right? So this is also like an actual technique used in therapy today too, right? It's called habit reversal therapy and it's used to treat so, 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 so many problems. It is kind of helpful, I'm sure, to have someone guiding you through it. Um, But, you know, we are self-sufficient mofos, so we can do it ourselves too. Okay, so ladies and gentlemen, this, wow, is a lot shorter of an episode than usual, but it's fine. There's a lot in here. Your homework is to go practice this. Um, But to recap, now we know that if you want to change a habit, you must identify what it is you're craving and then keep the same cue insert a new routine that delivers the same reward that is the golden rule is change the routine keep the front and the back the same change the middle keep the cue change the middle to something else that will deliver the same reward that the habit bad habit did right we also know per the last episode that you really have to believe that change is possible it's an absolute must believability is so 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 important for all of this to work too because if you just change the routine but you don't really think it's going to work you're just going to fall back into your old habits you're going to be like well I like donuts more than I like calling my mom so I'm going to eat the donut right you have to believe that change is possible and one way to increase your belief is to join up with a group or a person just finding some form of accountability as some another person that you can talk to or you know a group of people you've actually seen change so that it gives you hope that you can change right because change can happen for you I promise I have seen it work in my own life I have seen it work in so many other people's lives this book gives so many examples of people who have completely 180 changed their lives like gone from being in debt, being unhealthy, smoking, not working out, blah, 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 to like running marathons and being rich and like all these things. And it seems too good to be true, but it is not. And remember, I didn't touch on this a lot, but um, I talked for a second about keystone habits. So the fact that some of these habits, once you change them, are sort of these keystone habits that spark kind of this ripple effect of other habits changing, which is why oftentimes you see people make such big transformations, right? It's not just like, oh, I started working out. It's like, I started working out and I got better at my job and I started, you know, whatever, all these different things that lead to this big transformation. So that's the other amazing, powerful part about all of this is that just practicing and changing one habit, one small thing, you don't even know the possible, like, results that can bring you you don't even know what else is possible just from having changed that one and you may not even be conscious of it but you may be changing so many other habits just from doing that one I know that happened to me when I started going to my workout classes like it completely rewired the way that my brain believed I could make changes and other changes started happening so much more easily because I had done that one it's pretty crazy but it can happen for you right So this is some really, really powerful stuff. And when you put it to work intentionally, it literally has the ability to change your life. So let's challenge ourselves this week or whenever, you know, in the upcoming months to change one habit, okay? Big or small. 
so that we can get a feel for how the process works and actually like see it work right before our eyes because also proving to yourself that it's possible by like doing it with something really small uh, and perhaps easier also helps increase your believability it's you're proving it to yourself you are seeing it happen right in front of your eyes which makes tackling a bigger habit change a little bit easier right you know it's possible and that's why when I teach manifestation I have people start with something so 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 small like a feather or a butterfly just something with no emotional ties or any high stakes um, because then they can see that actually work and start believing that it's possible like oh my gosh this really does work so now I'm going to do something a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger So that really, my friends, concludes this episode and part three on the science of habit. I hope this was helpful. I find this stuff so, so, so fascinating and just so powerful. It's incredible what we can do to our minds, the changes that can occur when we just open ourselves up to them. So I really hope you enjoyed this episode. Please let me know. Give me some feedback. Hit me up over on Instagram at selfmademasterypod. I want to hear from you. Um, I've been really enjoying being back. We're back with a new episode next Wednesday. And happy September, by the way. Um, But yes, I'm here. I'm around. I hope you guys enjoy. Subscribe if you aren't already. Tell a friend. Or hit me up on Instagram stories so I can repost you. But that's it for today. You guys are the best. Thank you so much for listening. And I'll see you in the next episode. Bye. Bye.